Happy New Year to those of you uh, who realized it's the new year. To those of you with babies, I realize that you're just trying to get some sleep and understand that it's uh, confusing what day or time it is. I felt like on vacation I lost track of what day or time it was because of how weird the end of the year was. And there was like, is it Tuesday today? Is it Wednesday today? Um, and I remember back to what it was like to be uh, someone with an infant and bleary-eyed. And so I just, just want to tell you I have love for you. And if you're here and you have an infant, thank you for coming this morning. Um, this morning, I wanted to start kind of with a focus on uh, sort of challenging us to kind of where, wherever we're going this year or whatever we're doing this year, right? Because I think a lot of people step back and they might make some decisions on what they are going to try to do. And they might make some um, decisions to either be healthier or to, to work out more or to, to get financially to do some things in their lives to like, you know, create some space or some um, movement on debt or, or things like that. And a lot of us look at the beginning of the year as a chance to kind of make some changes. Um, I wanted to kind of challenge us from a spiritual perspective to not necessarily be looking at what we need to change moving forward to kind of shore up an area of our lives, but actually to really examine the foundation of what it is that you're doing as a believer. Uh, and I think we need to do this consistently. And the reason that it's one of those things that like, I think as, as you become a Christian longer and longer, this gets harder and harder. It's something that's maybe even more important to you as you grow as a Christian. Um, and so this morning, it might be a challenge to you. It might be an encouragement to you. But I want to ask you kind of what the faith that you have, what the foundation looks like for it. I want you to kind of look at and shore up that foundation. Uh, I watch a lot of home renovation shows. And uh, the shows that I watch, a lot of times they'll just buy a house unseen because it's cheap. And generally, if there's a house that someone buys that's really, really inexpensive and they're planning to flip it and make a whole bunch of money on it, they uh, walk into the house and they look at it and it looks like a hoarder has lived there and it's just nasty and they have to clear the whole thing out and they have to rip the, the house down to the studs inside. What ends up happening in most of those situations is that actually the real problem with this house is not that it's dirty and it's not that it needs an update. It's not that it needs a coat of paint on the walls or that it needs... It's actually a foundational problem. And a lot of times they have to rip the house all the way down to the studs and then bring somebody in to shore up the foundation before they do any of the work in the house. And that's kind of where we're going to start today, is really, is what is the foundation of your faith, and where is it, kind of, what is it built on? Because I do feel like if we make some decisions to put coats of paint on the wall, or to fix, change the layout of, of the house, or to change some of the, the way that things work, or put a new roof on it, we're missing the idea that the foundation is actually going to hold the whole thing up and it's going to be the first place we have to start. And so I want to actually be in Revelation chapter 2 today. And I know, like, Revelation, I know, you're probably like, what? How is this going to work? Um, by the way, if you are in our app, there's really good notes today. Lots of really good notes in here. So go ahead, follow along in the app um, if you want to. You can download it. It's Pursuit. Uh, community church on both of the app stores. Uh, I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 2. And this section of Revelation is really kind of Jesus speaking to specific churches. And it's something I think we need to continue to look at as a church, but also what we need to look at as believers. And it's a challenge to us. And Jesus is walking among these seven lampstands, these seven churches that are giving light to the world. And he's challenging them in different ways. And it's, it's crazy because like if you're one of these churches, it's all good. 
right? Everything he says about it, I'm like, you guys nailed it. You guys are crushing it. It's awesome. You're doing exactly what I want you to do. This is looking good. That's not the one that we're going to be in today. There's only one of those out of the seven. The other ones are, there's a couple that are all negative. You guys are the worst. You're failing hardcore. I just got to be honest with you guys. You're not even helping the kingdom. This is really bad. It's not looking good. The rest of them, uh, Jesus takes a, uh, like a sandwich approach. You know, you know the, the complisalt sandwich uh, method where it's like say something nice, get to the real thing that you need to say to the person that's really tough and difficult, and then say something nice at the end, right? So you sandwich the difficult piece in between two compliments. Come on, you guys are Minnesotans. You do this all the time, right? <laughs> you're like, hey, your, your hair looks uh, really nice. You're, you're a jerk. Uh, but I like uh, you make great spaghetti. Like, like you, it's two nice things and one hard, difficult thing, right? That's what Jesus is doing here, right? He starts off by telling this church, you guys are doing something right. There's something really good. And in fact, what he's saying to them is like, you actually started in a really great place, but then something happened, right? You drifted. I, I actually think as Christians, this, uh, especially if you've been a believer for a while, right? The drift is like very real. Like we're just kind of sucked out of our relationship uh, with Jesus. And our, our foundation starts to crumble a little bit as we get further and further away from what Jesus has called us to and who he is and the change that he wants to bring in our lives. And we've started to kind of protect areas of our lives we don't really want God to be meddling in. And then we start to kind of look away from our, our sin and kind of get used to being uh, kind of against what God wants us to be for. And then we start to, and, and after a while, we find ourselves kind of drifting far enough away that we start to kind of walk away from our faith. And, and the way I've seen this work with people is like the first thing that happens is they, uh, you know, is, is that they leave their small group. It's the first thing that happens. They leave their small group. They're like, ah, oh, we're just going to take a season off from our small group. And then they tell everybody in their small group. They don't switch to another small group. By the way, you're not locked into your small group forever. Like, if you want to go to a different group, no problem. We have a group every single night of the week, I think, except Saturday, which would be weird. And there's, like, 11 options, and, like, we can get you into a group. This no problem. We will find you people to hang out with and be in community with. But they, they like separate from the group. Then they stop serving. Then they start showing up to church maybe, like, once a month. It's not long. You can actually like just see this path and there's this drift that happens. There's this like apathy that kind of enters into it. It's not like they're mad about something. It's not like somebody offended them. They just sort of start to drift and it's like, you know, we'll go to brunch this morning instead of church and then it's like, hey, we got, we got 16 kids at home and one of them's sick so none of us can go to church now because one of them's sick, right? Like this is what kind of happens. You find reasons not to be in community and then you stop serving and then you walk away and I've seen a lot of people kind of drift, drift away in their faith. And I want to challenge you this morning not to drift. This is what Jesus is saying is wrong with this church that he's speaking to in Revelation chapter 2. And here's what he says. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, I write, and, and we don't exactly know which church he's talking to exactly. could be that he's speaking literally to the church that is in Ephesus. Or it could be that he's speaking to a type of church, right, that looks like this, that has lost their way. And I would challenge all of us, the longer that we are believers, the easier it is to find us in the same situation as this church that he's talking to. He said, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Revelation is full of imagery. It was written to people who were in a really tough spot, right? Like they were basically um, in famine. 
They were being uh, oppressed by Rome. The church in Jerusalem was being crushed. And so here comes John with his revelation about the future of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back and reestablishes the church and his kingdom in a, a very eternal way. And so all this is meant to encourage it's apocalyptic literature, which is meant to encourage a church that's being oppressed. Most of the time when apocalyptic literature comes at us, like we see in Daniel or like we see in Revelation, the church is being oppressed and it needs the encouragement of knowing that eventually we win. Right now it feels like we're going to lose. Right now it's like we're looking towards the dawn and hoping somebody rides over the hill, right? Because we're in a tough spot right now and things seem at their darkest, but there's a hope coming and that's what apocalyptic literature is about. And so you know, John is basically saying to the church, like, hey, it's okay, you're going you're gonna to win. Jesus is going to win. And so it gives us this imagery. He's holding these stars. He's walking among these lampstands. Basically, he's in charge, and he's got all this stuff at his disposal, and he's walking along these, uh, among these churches, which are lampstands, and giving light to the world around them. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So he starts by saying, I know you guys, I've been paying attention, and your hard work and your perseverance is actually paying off. Like, so just stop for a second. I think one of the ways that, that we drift and that Satan uses kind of in our lives to kind of help us drift is the idea that like what I'm doing isn't adding up to anything. That we're spinning our wheels or going through the motion and it's not adding up to the kind of change that we want to see in the world around us. Or that God is sort of like spun this whole thing up and stepped away and been like, good luck. But he's not actually involved. And what Jesus says to this church is like, no, I'm intimately involved and I see what you're doing and I, I commend your perseverance. That was the first idea in our notes here, that God sees and commends our hard work and perseverance. And if that was all it was, I would say, then work harder to please God. But that's not all it is. Okay, but I also want you to know that God sees the hard work and the perseverance, and he commends it. He doesn't want us to lose heart in what we're doing. Like It's a big world with a lot of you know, hurt. You could look around and say, like, this is impossible. Like, How can we ever make a difference in this world? Like, How can we do this? Like, it's crazy to me, you know, and I... I, I, we communicated this as a church, and I guess I can sort of talk about this now because uh, a little bit of time has passed here, but uh, those of you who met Christian, was a, a guy who was living in the woods here right near the community center that we were, I was spending lots of time with him and talking to him about God and just sharing the gospel with him all the time and kind of checking in on him a couple times a week, and he was hanging out here, and I introduced him to the community center staff, and they were making space for him to just kind of come in and hang out during the day, and and he was living in the woods kind of right here and offered to take him to treatment every time I saw him, offered to do anything I could for him. And, you know, he, he passed away uh, a couple weeks ago. On, we found him, his body on Sunday. He had froze to death overnight in the woods right here, right outside the community center. Like for about a week, I just processed that. Like, man, I knew this guy in a relationship with him, checking in on him three times a week, offering to take him to to, uh, you know, uh, treatment, like trying to do anything I could to help this guy get where he needed to be, to be safe, to be warm, to be whole. And I just couldn't make it happen. Like for a second, you could step back and you could say, wow, like I should have done more. 
I don't know what else I could have done. I don't know. I don't know what else I could have done. But there's a, a chance for you to look at that and to be discouraged, man, and say, like, we can't fix this problem. Like, I only had one person to look after, and I couldn't fix this problem for him. And you could be discouraged. And I want you to know what God is saying to this church is like, dude, I know your deeds. I see your hard work. I see that you are persevering. It's caused me to think about a whole lot of things that I could have done differently that I will do and would do differently next time. It's caused me to think of like a lot of ideas that could have changed the situation that are impossible now but could be possible in the future. Right? It's moved my heart in a way that has caused me to double down on the idea that, like, no, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen in Moundsview again. Like, I don't want to see another person in that kind of situation who can't find the help that they need. Like, I'm not going to stop. Right? Like, I'm going to continue to persevere in this, in this situation. And I, I wonder about us, too, like, as, as believers, the longer we go, the further away we get from kind of wherever we started as believers, like, do we start to get discouraged? Do we start to get overwhelmed by the hurt and the difficulty of the world around us? Do we start to lose faith in what, what's going on around us? And I, I want you to know, like Jesus says, I see it, I see you, I see your hard work, I see your perseverance. It's not what saves you. It's not what gets you in that relationship with Jesus. It's not what gets you into heaven. It's not what changes the equation here. Your hard work is a, is a byproduct of your relationship with God. And it's commended by God when you work hard because you care and you're passionate about what's going on. And so Jesus starts, he says, like, you guys started great and I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and you have found them to be False. And the second idea here is that God loves a church who deals in truth and justice and transparency. God loves a, a church that has a theology that is accurate and they fight for it and they work towards honoring the truth and being just and being transparent. And I love what the message says in, in uh, verse 2. He says, I know you can't stomach evil and you weed out apostolic pretenders. That's how the message translates that. Section And I would say, like, we, even in our five years, have really worked hard to call out the heresies that we see in the culture all around us and to say, that's not Jesus, and that's not Jesus, and that's not Jesus. But also for us to traffic in justice and to traffic in transparency and to say, we're going to be honest and open about all this stuff, and we're not going to shy away from dealing with any of it, and we're going to be as strongly on the side of the right theology, and here's where we believe, and we may not have it all right, and we're going to always be working through it, but here's what we think is the truth, and here is us proclaiming it, even if it's uncomfortable, and even if it goes against culture, and even if it makes us weirdos. Like, Paul was always being called a weirdo. Like, Paul was always being called, like, a, like a, uh, too hardcore, or too intense, or whatever, and it's like, yeah, God commends those who take seriously this idea that they have to honor the Bible and they have to honor what he has called us to believe and how we should behave and how we should live as Christians, but also find a way to be transparent about that and to be full of justice in actually applying that. And I would say 
it's interesting to me because I feel like sometimes people feel um, sort of judged or sort of like they, they come against theology that's strong and that's kind of the root or sort of the foundation of what a church looks like and they feel like they're being judged or they feel like they're running into people who don't have space for them and they kind of like lash out at the church. And I would tell you like what my thought process is like the people who are strongest in understanding what the Bible actually really has to say and who have studied it and who have spent a lot of time pouring over it and making sure that they have it as accurate as they possibly can, those people are the least tied up in judging people around them or trying to control people around them or trying to prove a point to people around them. Those are the people who are confident in what they're saying and much rather would spend time loving and caring for and being as forgiving and accepting of people as they possibly can be. It, we know that Scripture tells us I'm not supposed to hold a non-Christian to a Christian standard before they know Jesus. So I'm not out there trying to control or judge other people. I know exactly what the Word says, and I operate under its authority. But also, I'm trying to love people and help them get to know Jesus before I have any Christian standard to apply to their lives. I'm not here to judge them. I'm not here to control them. And so he's commending the church for not tolerating the people within the church who are going to teach the wrong thing and being strong in the theology that they have. These are important things. So he, he says, hey, it's your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, your theology, right? the way that you don't tolerate wickedness, the way that you call it out, the way that you, you take um, a, a really strong stance on those things. Like Those are really good things. And the last part, he says, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. So the third idea is um, that God desires a tenacious church that doesn't wear out. And I don't know about you, but I think this comes from a place of passion, man. If we care about the things that God cares about, we don't wear out as we do them. Right? Again, uh, the message, here's how it translates to this version, uh, uh, verse 3. It says, I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, that you never wear out. And I want to be the kind of church that doesn't wear out, that doesn't get tired of doing good, that doesn't get tired of serving justice, that doesn't get tired of being transparent, that doesn't get tired of calling it out, that doesn't get tired of any of these things. And it's more than just setting up a church on a Sunday. In fact, I think there's a lot of people out there, and we've seen this as we've kind of grown into what we are now. I love it. We always have the sound of kids. It's great. That's what we are. I was somewhere. It's coming back to me. <laughs> I think in our, in our history, in our five years, there's definitely been people that have walked away from our church because they, they can see that eventually they'll be worn out by setting up a church every, every Sunday. Like it, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a struggle to, to set up the chairs and to set up the kids' ministry and to set up the lobby and to put out all the, the stuff, and, and I get it. It doesn't wear me out at all. There's some of us that doesn't wear us out at all because we know what happens because of the small things that we do when we serve. Like for us, we're passionate enough to say we'd rather meet in a community center where the community is already comfortable. We'd rather invite people into the midst of a place that they already understand and know and are comfortable than having the barrier of being in a church between us and them. And if it means that I've got to come a little bit early right, and set up a couple chairs, I don't care. I can do that forever. That's never going to wear me out. 
right? I, I look at it, and I, I've had pastors tell me this, like, hey, man, you, you're going you, you're gonna to do that for, like, the whole history of your church? Like, maybe. That's what God calls us to. We can sling chairs forever if that's what it takes. Like, if you're on the, the setup team, and you show up at 7, and no one ever sees you do anything, you already understand this. You get it. That we're doing this because of what's happening in kids' ministry right now. We're doing this because of what's happening right here. We're doing this because of the small groups that are created out of this community. We're doing this because the people's lives get transformed out of us doing small, menial, servant tasks. Anybody who's opened a door, anybody who's greeted anyone, anybody who's ever handed out communion, anybody who's ever worked in kids' ministry, anybody who's ever found themselves setting up church in the park, in the summertime, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you've done women's ministry or men's ministry or worked with youth, it doesn't matter what you've done. Whatever it is, we're not going to get worn out because we're passionate about what God has called us to. And those are the things that Jesus commends. He commends a church that is so passionate that they cannot be worn out, that they have not grown weary, that they've dealt with hardship and perseverance, and we have. The stories that we could tell you about the annoyances of being in a building that we don't own are innumerous. Our first Easter that we existed. Anyone here our first Easter? Probably not a lot of people. Okay? Yeah, thanks. Middle schoolers. Um, our first Easter, we had two services because we, we couldn't fit the amount of people that had come in for that, that service. And in between services, our soundboard just decided to die. Just died. So we were in, finished first service. We had a little egg hunt in the gym. And then second service is about to begin. And the soundboard just decided it didn't want to work. So we had a quick meeting in the back. What are we going to do? Right? In that moment, our worship guy was like, um, I say we just do hymns and just tell everyone to sing really loud. So that's what he did. He grabbed his guitar. He ran up on stage and he sang I mean, it was like Amazing Grace and, you know, like just stuff that everybody would know without us putting any words on screen or handing out anything. And I got up and preached with no, I know it's hard to think that I'm loud enough to be able to preach with no amplification, but I did. And we pushed through. Thanks. I'm, I'm having a conversation with them. You could just, between A and B, see your way out, please. Listen. There's going to be stuff that wears us down. It's not just the building. There's going to be things about being in the community and working with people, the messiness of working with people, that are going to wear us down. But we have to persevere. We have to deal with the hardships. We have to not grow weary. We have to continue on with what God has called us to do. So the question is, what motivates us to stay connected and to stay doing the kind of things that God wants us to do? And it comes in the sort of very next verse here. He says, yet, he says, yet I hold this against you. All those things are really good, but you did, you persevered, you had good theology, you, you, know, you worked hard. He said, but this is what I hold against you. And this is what the problem is with this church. This is what the problem is, I think, with some of us who have drifted away from what God has wanted from us. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. It's true that sometimes those things that wear us down can push us to a place where we are not connected to God anymore. And what are we doing? We're doing, when we're getting, going through perseverance or when we're, we're sort of 
preaching solid theology or when we're working really hard, those things are great when we're driven by the love that we have in our relationship with God, but those things wear us out when we don't have that connection to God. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You have drifted away from Jesus and you're lost. All these things that are good, you can't do these any longer out of the overflow of your relationship with God because you've drifted away from God. And you're like, not me. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Take, take a look at 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 13 to 15. This is Paul speaking again. He was called out of his mind all the time, right? Because of how intense he was and how crazy he was and how he was doing exactly what Jesus called him to do even when it was difficult. By the way, you just look at the disciples, look at Jesus. Like the disciples were constantly being like, Jesus, uh, it's getting late. Uh, we don't have enough money. We don't, we don't have the resources. We, we should probably send these people home. Like uh, we got to go over here because people are expecting us. Like they were always, they always had an agenda for Jesus. And Jesus always had unbelievable compassion for the people that he was ministering to, right? Like there was this difference in understanding of what was happening, that Jesus was like out there listening to the Holy Spirit and, and being compelled by the compassion that he had and sort of moving from moment to moment in the, the uh, being in step with the Spirit. And the, the disciples were always kind of fighting against that because they were planners and they were like making plans and thinking about the next step. And it was really the planners that ruined everything. Um, and so when Paul did the same thing, people called him out of his mind. There'd be times where he's like, I'm going to go over here, but then the Holy Spirit stopped me from going into this area and took me over to this place because, you know, I had a dream or God, you know, the Holy Spirit came and spoke to me. So when Paul's talking about this in 2 Corinthians, right, he says, if we are out of our mind, as some would say, which I think as believers, the further a culture goes away from who we are as believers, the more people will say, you're out of your mind. The way that you spend your time, the way that you live your life, the way that you, the decisions you make with your kids, like all those things will make you look like you're out of your mind. The way you spend your resources, your time, your money, all these things make you look like you're out of your mind. Paul says, if we're out of our mind, as some would say, it is for God. We're serving him. And if we're in our right mind, it is for you. He says, for Christ's love compels us. The thing that motivates me to be nuts is the love of God in my life. It's because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Son, son, Miles, son, please. You're having a conversation in the front row while I'm preaching. Look at me. It's time to stop. Thank you. Christ's love compels us. We no longer live for ourselves because Christ's love compels us. And you might be asking yourself, if I've gotten far away from where God wants me to be or far away from him in relationship, it might be because I've allowed myself to be motivated by things other than Christ's love. And then all of those things that are commended become drudgery. You come here and sling chairs and you hate every second of it because it's annoying because you shouldn't have to do it because we should just have a building. Right? The messiness of people start to drive you nuts. You start to look at them and judge them as opposed to love them and have compassion on them because you're not motivated by love that you have in a relationship with Jesus. You're motivated by something else. You've drifted away from the thing that should compel you to live the way that you're called to live. So the question is, how do you know if you have forsaken your first love? Let me just give you a couple of tests, 
a couple of ways to look at your, yourself and ask the question, right? Have I drifted? The first is uh, that in your life now you have a creeping worldliness. A creeping worldliness. That your values, the decisions that you're making, the things that you're allowing for in your life are creeping towards the culture and the world around you and not closer to what Jesus has called us to do and live in Scripture. All of us sort of drift towards the pull of culture. And you may find yourself being okay with things now that you may not have been okay with just a short time ago because the culture has made it normal for you and has dragged you away from Jesus and closer to the world's version of what it looks like to be who you are. That tension never goes away. As believers, we always have a choice whether we're going to purposefully, intentionally, as Jesus would say, choose the narrow path to follow Christ or to allow the world to draw us towards its culture that it's creating all the time around us. Jesus, the way that he describes it is like everyone's on a passive path towards destruction, and yet Christ calls us to a very narrow path towards life. And so are you, are you finding yourself making decisions now and being okay with things in your life now that you weren't okay with just a short time ago? Have you found yourself changing your values and changing the way that you think about the world around you? Because the Bible hasn't changed, and Jesus hasn't changed, and his truth hasn't changed. The culture continually changes, and it continually draws us away. And we find ourselves sort of walking away from what Christ has called us to and getting okay and normalizing sort of the sin or the, the decisions or the values of the world around us. We, are, we have lost our first love. We are not compelled by the love of God anymore. We're being compelled by the pressure or tension that the culture is putting on us. We're allowing ourselves to become more like the world and less like Jesus. Okay, so there's one. Let's think about that. That's a tough question to ask, because if you're being honest with yourself, I think that's probably a lot of us or maybe all of us. Number two, have you lost interest in worship? Have you lost interest in worship? You know, I found it really interesting. Like, I'm going to just call it out. I love you. I'm not trying to pick on you. If you feel picked on, that might be because you need to look at it. We did a, we did a worship night a couple months ago. The amount of people that are in here on a Sunday, the amount of people that come to, our, to, to a worship night, it's like half. <laughs> are we excited to worship? Do we find ourselves in those moments in our regular life, when we're not in church service, when we're not in our compartmentalized Christian time, where we're being professional Christians, right? We find ourselves worshiping on a regular basis. We find ourselves filling ourselves up with, with God, His Word, with you know, worship music with uh, uh, prayer? Like, do we find ourselves worshiping on a regular basis or have we just sort of like stepped out of that world and kind of aren't really, we come in on a Sunday morning late and we just kind of, kind of stand there and just kind of look around while the music's going on? You know what's awesome about worship is when the whole congregation is just worshiping their heart out and it just like floods the room and fills every person in here as we see one more person and one more person and one more person engage the Holy Spirit. Like, have we just sort of lost that, like, love of worship and, like, lost that connection 
Because you might be finding yourself drifting from God, and one of the things that might point that out to you is that you have lost interest in, in worship. And I want to tell you, like, when, you're, when you first become a believer, these things are just easy and new and fresh. And this is kind of what I'm talking about, right? You know, the, the story of Jesus when he's kind of with his disciples and the, the Pharisees are, are, are there and, and he kind of like, uh, this, this prostitute comes in and, and she breaks open this, this expensive bottle of perfume and anoints his feet in front of the room and, and everybody in the room is just like turned off like, geez, if Jesus knew who this lady was, there's no way he'd let this person anoint his feet. And like, this is just making everybody uncomfortable. And of course, Judas is like, we should have sold that, that perfume, and we could eat. By the way, if your idol is money, you're always concerned with how somebody's spending it wrong. Just throwing that out there. Okay, so and Jesus is just letting it happen. This woman is just anointing his feet. And at the end, the disciples are asking him, like, why did you let her do that? That was so weird forever. She's weeping on your feet and pouring this perfume and using her hair. And it was just a, weird and creepy, and all of us were weirded out by it. And Jesus says to them, you know, he gives them like a little mini parable, and he's like, who, who, who feels the weight of their forgiveness more? Right, this is what he says uh, in Luke 7. You don't, you don't have this, by the way, David. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who, can this man, who is this man who forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in, in peace. He says, like, you guys have like, forgotten or maybe you don't think that you've been forgiven a lot. You look at her and you realize that she's been forgiven a lot and you who grew up sort of semi-religious haven't been forgiven a lot. And I think that sometimes we don't worship because we forgot how much we've been forgiven. We've lost the ability to understand that God has forgiven us everything, that we are the woman in that, in that picture. We are not the Pharisees, and we are not the disciples. And we did, you know, so what if you grew up religious? So what? So what? You know, I was having a conversation with somebody, and they're like, you know, it smelled like weed. I don't know what weed smells like. I'm sorry. I'm a weirdo. I know. I didn't grow up partying. I grew up serving Jesus. And I could say, like, hey, I haven't been forgiven all the things that you've been forgiven because you were partying in high school and in college and I wasn't. Good for you, good for me, whatever. No, I step back and say, I've been forgiven more than you. You don't even know how much I've been forgiven. And when we start to disconnect from the idea that, like, Jesus laid his life down and forgave our sins, right, our sins, the things that we have done that are just as bad and terrible and horrible as anybody else has done, then we miss the idea that when we get a chance to worship, it should be extravagant. It should be ridiculous. We should walk into this place so excited. Like, here's a question for you. Did you, and, and this is probably not a good question to ask Viking fans, because um, you, no, you have no hope, right? <laughs> when you wake up on Sunday, what are you more excited about? <coughs> Going to church and being with a community of people who love Jesus, who are going to drive you forward in your relationship with him, having a chance to worship, having a chance to listen to just unbelievable sermons from an incredibly smart person, or like the game. What's more exciting? What's more exciting? (laughs) 
I just, I just question the idea that like, if we've lost the desire to worship, like we, we're far from our first love. Our foundation is crumbling. Like we, we need to be aware and focused on the idea that like, we, we've got some work to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these last ones really quick here. That you, here's the third one. You've stopped growing in the spirit. And in fact, what's really happened to you is that the spirit of the world around you has taken root in you and not the spirit of God who lives inside of you and fills you. That you're feeding the wrong spirit in your life, not the right one. That in your life, you're not seeing more love and more joy and more peace and more forbearance and more kindness and more goodness and more faithfulness and more gentleness and more self-control. You're seeing more fear and more anxiety and more... And by the way, I'm not i got to always stop and say, like, if you're dealing with clinical, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever, go get help, get medicine, talk to a counselor, get in community around here, get people who love you, who check in with you, all those things. But if you're dealing with more of the spirit of the world around us and less of the spirit of God who lives inside of you, then maybe that's a, a warning sign to you. The fourth one, that you've lost a burden for the lost, that lost people bother you, they bug you that lost people represent uh, something that you want to stand against and so that it bothers you that they're the way they are and you need to understand lost people gonna lost. I want to copyright that, by the way. <laughs> T-shirt, lost people gonna lost. If you find yourself around lost people and you're annoyed by them and you're judging them and you've missed the idea that God has compassion for them and loves them and wants to see them come to a knowledge of saving faith in Jesus, then you've lost your first love. You have, you have moved away from what God has called you to, to be. That we should be looking at lost people with a burden that drives us. And saying, yeah, they're going to be messy. They're going to be difficult. It's going to be uncomfortable. Okay, fine. This is what Jesus would want me to do. He'd want me to lean into this and to share the gospel in this moment with these people. The last one, our testimonies have grown old. If you are still sharing the same story about how amazing God was in your life, that's from 20 years ago, and you're not sharing testimonies from last week and last year and last month and five years ago and 10 years ago, and if more time has passed between the story that you always share about what God did in your life and the time before that. I don't know what to tell you. But you've lost your first love. If God isn't moving in your life on a regular basis and creating all kinds of new testimonies in your life that should be shared frequently, then you've lost something. And all these things are just challenge you to say, have I lost my first love? And have I drifted away from who God has called me to be. Maybe it's possible that my foundation is just sort of crumbling under me and I'm putting paint on the walls when in reality I need to work on the foundation and I need to stay connected to God and I need to figure out what this looks like, this relationship looks like. And the danger here always is go and do more. Go try to be better. That's what a lot of these sermons end with. Go try to be a good human. Go work hard to be better. That's not what I'm saying. Revelation answers the question. Okay, well, if you find yourself drifting, if you found yourself drifted away from God, 
how do you rediscover that first love? And here's what Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He says, the church that misses this is in danger. The person who misses this is in danger. The person whose sort of faith is falling in on them is often because their foundation is not strong. So what do we do? What do we do? Two things. Repent. Consider how far you have fallen. Be aware of yourself. It's not a good, it's not a skill a lot of people have to be aware of themselves. I can't tell you how often I'll have conversations with people and they just like don't have like a solid real world idea of who they are. Like they think they're better than they are or they think they're worse than they are. Be aware of your sin and repent. Ask God to show you the places in your life where you have fallen down, where you have missed it, where your foundation is crumbling and needs to be repaired. And then says, do the things you did at first. And that sounds like work harder, and that's not what, that's not what this is saying. It's not saying work harder. There is an element of work. You know, if you think of like a, the romantic version of this, if you are married or you know, if you've ever had that first crush middle schoolers. Uh, you ever had that first crush? You ever tried to impress somebody who you liked? You liked? Like, it's work, sure. You're doing crazy things to get someone's attention. You're trying to create something there, a relationship there, but it's not work. You're kind of floating through it. You're kind of enjoying every minute of trying to prove yourself to this person or trying to be in their presence or trying to get with them or trying to get their attention or trying to and I'm not saying that God's like going to play hard to get. But it is a relationship. And if you've got to the point now where all the work that goes into the relationship is work, and that you're not floating into it, that tells you something's wrong. Repent and do the things you did at first. Right? Connect with God in ways that take you back to what that original love relationship look like when you first realized that you were forgiven of all this sin when God had made a way for you or he had died for you and loves you and had created you like that's what it looks like to come back to that original place of an understanding like I'm going to be motivated by this relationship because it's strong and I'm going to work on this relationship with God I'm going to be in his presence I'm going to spend time praying I'm going to be in his word I'm going to be filling myself up I'm going to be in community with people. Like, I'm going to be doing the things that bring me back to the place that I was at first where it wasn't really work. Like, it's a good time to think about this. So, like, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to spend some time kind of talking about this idea that there are a lot of things in this culture that we need to resist and that there are antidotes that we find in Scripture that help us resist some of the things that the culture around us but it doesn't, the conversation really doesn't go anywhere unless we're in love with the God who loved us first. If we don't step back and say, Jesus died for me while I was still a sinner. He cared about me, he loved me, he created me, and he made a way for me before I did anything to earn it. That my work doesn't save me, that it becomes easy because I'm in a love relationship with him. I reflect what he's done in my life back to him. Like I want to challenge you to think about that. If you find yourself struggling in any of these other five areas, I, I probably could have come up with a hundred. 
Right? That's just a warning sign that you need to come back to Christ and find that relationship again, repair that foundation again, so you're doing things with the right motivation. You're compelled by the love that is, you've received in your relationship with God. Let me, let me close this in prayer. Jesus, would you just show us all what it looks like to return to how we first felt in our relationship with you? Would you show us the places that we have allowed for idols? Would you show us the places where we have lost track of what you called us to do, where we've become desensitized to the culture around us and allowed ourselves to drift? And Jesus, would you just draw us back? Would you repair those foundational walls? Would you re respond to any effort that we make in a way that changes the way that we feel about you? And God, would you allow us to be motivated out of love, love that compels us to do the things that you called us to do, not just working because we want to work or be diligent. God, being diligent and working because of the love that you've shown us that we reflect back to you. Would this church be defined by that kind of love? And God, would you be honored by our lives and by this church? Would you build your kingdom in our lives and in this community? In Jesus' name, amen.